mean, this is, it's, uh, I think about it sometime, it's, it's luxurious in my eyes to, you know, to be able to live in one country and, you know, you have the social capital, you know, it's something that I, I'll never know again, you know, because I left, I left when I was 20 and, uh, you know, and then you sort of have to build a new network and it takes time. It takes time to just feel like, oh, you know, this is home. <laughs> it takes, yeah. Every time I get on the street, I'm just amazed how beautiful Denmark is. Still, after living for so long, <laughs> my I should just be like normal. But every time I get on, I go, wow, how did they build this country? How many years it took them? And also, I like this project because you know, it's just three actors, really. <laughs> and, and you're one of the three, so you only yeah. have two more actors to sort of deal with. <laughs> yeah. And in the last production, you were seven on this. Yeah, seven on the stage. stage. Yeah. yeah, we've sort of been reducing. The first one we were, it was much into Venice, right? Twenty twenty one, the whole team. Yeah. Twenty one. Speak. Speak. It was stupid. Not stupid, but it was. <laughs> that was back in in two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, two thousand sixteen. Based on on Shakespeare's play, mm -hmm. and then. You changed the title to the merchants of Copenhagen instead of Venice. We changed the title, but we did some editing as well, creative editing to sort of try and fit the gambit, kind of fast forward it a little bit. And it was fun. It was big, and then we, you know, we scaled down again to any other people, which is still a big cast. And that was insane. I when I think of it because it was actors from Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, from three countries, right, and different backgrounds, and you think, oh wow, this is going to be lovely, and it is lovely, you know, all these people together, wow, it's perfect, you know, diversity, yeah. But were you on the stage as well, weren't you? No, that one I wasn't. I, I relinquished my role. I wanted to play Dr. Stockman. But my director was like, oh, you know what, I've seen one girl, and I think it would be so much fun to have a girl play Dr. Stockman. I go, hmm, let's give it a try. <laughs> overruled. Yeah, I was overruled in that one, and I was okay with that. Then you stay on the producing aspect of it, which also takes too much of energy and time anyway. Mm. And then the next one, it was um, Enemy of the People? That was in 2017. After that, it was Four Colored Girls. Yeah, it was fun, because we played in three countries. Still, it's not easy to work with... I'll be careful how I put this. Uh, <laughs> it's always a challenge. <laughs> it's always a looking challenge. looking forward to hear how you will put it. <laughs> Because I have a vague idea what you were about to say. Yeah, it's always a challenge to work with people from different backgrounds, regardless. Oh, I thought you would say with with seven uh, yeah. girls oh, on stage. No way. <laughs> <laughs> it's also very delicate and interesting because it's, it's it is for coloured girls. It is a play about women, and as a producer, I'm not, not a woman, and therefore I have to sort of also give up and try and understand. There's no other way of putting it. And even though you'll never fully comprehend, to realize you're not in charge of this, to sort of give it up, let it just go. It was very touching seeing the result. And I saw it in, in Cuba last year, yeah. in the autumn, and did a review for it. I was very surprised, so to speak. Somehow, it's a difficult text, because where is the focus? You have seven characters each, one of the colors of the rainbow, and the stories mingle. It's like a staffette, passing one on to one another, and you follow the story, mm. one person to the other. And of course, some of the stories are more touching than others. And mm -hmm. it was as if it started as a polterabend party-like feeling again. Yeah. 
somewhere in the middle it slowed down and then in the end it became very very touching and very hard to watch as well mm -hmm. it's great just before the performance uh, two of your players Rebecca Langley and Victoria Seast uh, did a short extra on the festival and yeah. maybe we should listen to that one somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff not my poems or my dances I gave up on the streets but somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff like a kleptomaniac working hard forgetting while stealing this is mine this ain't your stuff now why don't you put me back and let me hang up in my own self somebody almost walked off with all my stuff and didn't care enough to leave a whole note saying I was too late for my own soul conversation or two sizes too small for my own tacky skirt. What can anybody do with something of no value on an open market? Did you get a dime for my things? Hey man, where are you going with all my stuff? This is a woman's trip and I need my stuff to ooh and ah about. Daddy, I gotta make my number for my own shit. This is mine. Wanjiko's own things. That's my name. Now give me back my stuff. And it's interesting with this text because somehow it's a text about taking things, one person stealing from another. Very simple. But on the other hand, it suddenly the person says that I was in the plastic bag, mm -hmm. which was taken. It becomes a a picture of the whole yeah. performance. I mean, I was very happy about the production. For many, it was pioneering. It yeah. was produced in '75 and put on Broadway yeah. and made into a film in 2010. Yeah. It reached Copenhagen in 2018, which was quite late. That's part of your whole project. Like yeah. You want to juxtapose text from one country for offer one part of the world to another part and give opportunities for color players in, in, in Denmark to act together. You want to put some kind of... Yeah, what, what do we actually want to do? <laughs> Just theatre and I have to come up with a very interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, but you have special, you have a, a very colorful cast, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what we do with that one. And I remember, you know, a very first conversation we had in Bagarop, he asked me this question and I've not forgotten it since. Yes, me. What, what do you mean by new Nordic voices? What's new? That's, that's exactly what you, what's new about it. <laughs> and I was just trying to, to sort of say this juxtaposing thing that it's a three-year project and the first place that we used was for Colored Girls and we had a workshop about it where we were juxtaposing it with Mina Kant and, you know, having two different theater directors talking about the different contexts and so on and so forth, you know. And then the actual play, you know, that happened. Of course, you're using artists of different backgrounds, introducing material and text and other pieces that have not been performed here, and they're classics by their own rights from whichever part of the world they're from. So that is the one aspect, right? Bringing in theatre classics from, they say, Global South. I'm not sure what they mean by that. But from... from it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really good. <laughs> Non-Western, pretty much, in terms of both historically maybe geographically also, 
So for instance, for Carl Gals, that is a Western play in many ways because it's African-American. Yeah, it is that way. But then again, it's not by choice. You know, they, they didn't end up there by choice. So we claim them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that one was really good because actually what happened, it was in 2019, but in 2018, the player had actually died. The lady, and in 20, I believe in 2019, Broadway put it up. I got the rights from them before they put it up and I found I later found out that the person who gave me the rights was one of those involved in putting it involved. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? You know? <laughs> so this was it was just the perfect timing for that. So that is, is one aspect of it. And then new Nordic voices. The other aspect of it is to sort of analyze uh, Nordic classics through our own understanding, through our own perspectives. That's what brings us forward to uh, with Froke and Julie. It's a bit delicate because this is, I mean, it's premiered in Denmark, right? Back in... Yeah. <laughs> he wrote it in 1888. Yeah. And it's wonderful that a play from that time still is mm. somehow difficult to handle. Yeah. Because it's about all the things which we, we care about, so to speak. It's about mm. power, it's about gender, it's about sex, it's a... It doesn't seem a bit old at all. Yeah. And I guess that's the reason why it's still being performed so much. Yeah. Of course, it's easy to handle because it's it's two main characters and then a third one. No. Mm -hmm. And I think you said something about that you added one person. Oh, yeah. Since then, I have developed a few more things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you only kept the title. Yeah. Yeah, since then, you know, I think that was a couple of months ago, was it? Or, yeah. yeah. So it was still fresh and, you know, and I just knew I had to set it up in this colonial context. Maybe you should say something about the colonial context, because it's new. Of course, you have a special treat mm. by, by moving it to your own past, so to speak. No, this is this is nineteen twenties. Nineteen twenty, yeah, but still, yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I was born in the eighties, so <laughs> <laughs> so close enough, right? <laughs> Almost, yeah. The title is Happy Valley's Flapper. That's uh, my adaptation. Sometimes adapting a place is as difficult as just writing a new one. So what happened in the in about eighteen eighty five? You know, after the Berlin Conference and you know, and the, and the scramble and partition of Africa, was that. Um, when they first came, they said, okay, you know what, we have to build uh, a railway line from, from Mombasa into the interior, uh, so the Lunatic Express. And they built that one, I think it took them about four years until 1902. And then, this is the Brits, right? And then they realized, okay, you know what, we need to get money out of this thing. So what should we do? So they started advertising in the most Western countries, even as far as Australia, that they need farmers to come and settle and you know and you know use the land and then they could always because this was virgin land so to speak then they could you know transport the goods to Europe and it was called the lunatic express because they were, <laughs> yeah it was being debated I think in England like oh, what's this purpose nobody knows you know mm -hmm. where is it going nobody knows you know they couldn't justify it why they're doing it but if you start going into, into more history about it you realize that the germans also were building you know a train i believe it was in tanzania i think and there was this sort of competition so the whole idea was to take goods and transport them rather to trade them to the western world now remember nobody had tasted a banana in europe until 1880s because you don't grow bananas here right and so this was part of the whole thing, and you know, it was bringing exotic 
fruits, vegetables. I think you have something called Colony Handler. I don't know if it's connected to that at all. What happened was now a stream of settlers started coming in. And within these settlers from, from Europe, you had three categories. You had the aristocrats. And the aristocrats, you know, they had money. They were coming for adventure. They were bored. They were like, oh, you know, let's just go and have a good time. Uh, they were going for the party. They were going for the party, and you know, and, and they were very wealthy. And then you had you know, the South Africans. The South Africans, uh, the Boers, they were coming in as, you know, as workers pretty much, you know, because they had the skills. And, you know, this is after the Boer War. You know, they were still migrating up to the Eastern Africa part. And then you had the madmen. And this was... The were, madmen? <laughs> yeah. The workers? <laughs> no, the workers are just... The I mean, one who jumped on the adventure trip. Exactly. And some of them, they were, I think they were exiled. Convicts. Convicts, exactly. And this is at the same time, you know, in, in Europe, you still have this um, the class thing, which is just collapsing. Incidentally, this is during the string back thing. For some reason, this guy has introduced this class thing back to where they were in the, in the colonies. So what happened was now in 1920s, they took up this land in Kenya. And they, you're from Kenya yourself? Yes, exactly. Well, because it was a very beautiful area waterfalls and different kinds of flora and fauna and you know birds chirping and crickets it's very serene paradise like uh, it's paradise like yeah it is paradise it's called the wanjohi valley and you know with hills and you know so i think one of the first settlers was a guy called erogan building this amazing replicating sort of the high life of europe and they would import everything you know the materials you know they'll build these big mansions and they're still there until today and there are many of them, you know. And uh, within this stream of settlers, you had now very interesting characters who are now called the Happy Valley Set. And uh, it comprised of so many of them, but the most interesting one is uh, Jocelyn Hay, Victor, Lord Errol. And he's coming from a very, very aristocratic background. I think he was even present during the coronation of King George. His family goes way back into the misty Scottish period, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago. They went to all this Eton, and you know, it was this class of people. He also came with his wife, who is a bit eight years older than him, Idina Sackville, and who was also coming from a very, very aristocratic, posh, long history. So, the, I mean, and with his wife, and they are the, really the founders of this whole. So, there was Lord Errol, there was Idina Sackville. There was Kiki Preston, and she was an American lady, and there was uh, Alice Dijanze, and many others. But my focus is now on this core four. And what was it? This is a place of debauchery. It was a place of, you know, good times. This is the 1920s, the flappers' age from America, and, you know, and it's catching all, and this old women liberation. I guess we have a pretty clear picture of it yeah. if we think about the, the dance situation of that time. Yes. I guess that was quite other feeling, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So what what Idina Sackville actually did, you know, in her house, it was called the clouds, and clouds was about I think it was eight thousand feet above sea level, 
you can try and imagine that, you know. Mm. It's called clouds for that reason. If you wake up in the morning, it's just the clouds. It's like, wow. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I want to live there. And what she used to do was that every, I think... Is that these places, are the places that in, in your childhood you've been jumping no. up and down? <laughs> no, 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 no. I wish I did. Actually, right now I want to go there and see it myself. But they're a bit outskirts. Because the, these guys, they lived on the outskirts, mostly in the... And you're, you're from Nairobi yourself? Yeah, I'm from Nairobi, yeah. And it's a little bit outskirts, about two hours away, really. It's not that far. But it's the places, you know, I would go for school trips. Towards the Rift Valley. And have you been to Kenya? No. Oh, this is, we, should, we should really sort this out. It's a place where Karen Bilsen should have had her land. Because she took her land in a very place where it could not grow anything. Uh, I have no idea. By accident or...? Yeah, I'm trying to remember how it happened. I think it was... Bad advice? Bad advice. I think it was Bro Blixen. Surely it must have been him. But the, all these were friends. She was friends with Lord Errol, who is really the founder of the Happy Valley. It's called Happy Valley for many reasons, but it is mostly known for the sex, because she used to have all these sex parties and, you know, and so on and so forth. But why did it become public? It became quite public because in 1941... The founder of Happy Valley, Lord Arrow. And there's a lot of different books written about this story, you know. Oh yeah, I gave you for Edna Sackville. Yeah. In the beginning I wanted I wanted the play to portray her, but I changed along the way. Um Yeah. You were thinking her of yeah. the part of uh, Fogin Yeah, I was thinking it because her life is as tragic as it is. You want to make a play about Miss Julie and put it in that whole setting of Happy Valley. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, so which of these characters does it really fit? Then you sort of have to study their different histories. So which one could it be like of the perfect fit for this? So in the beginning, it was, I did a second, oh my God, this is just perfect, you know. And then I came across another one. I said, oh God, you know, this is just, you know. So that was sort of the process of it. But as I was saying, so what happened, this is important, because in 1941, when Lord Arrow was killed, he was assassinated. And there's so many different conspiracies of who assassinated him. Some say it was the Germans. Some say it was the M16. Some so we don't really know. Yeah, my play is gonna solve this thing once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna solve this thing once and for all. <laughs> that's the whole thing. That is the whole thing. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. I've been researching and I've been putting on my detective eyes. <laughs> but maybe you should tell something about what is the play actually about? Because it's a difficult play because it's in, on one hand it's very simple, on the other hand it's very complicated. What will it be about in your version? Privately, everything. But I'm just, I'm just curious how much do I give without? Because I want people to come and see it. This is, yeah, this is going to change yeah. their lives. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, something about what, what I think I've seen two or three performances about. Yeah. For Julie, mm -hmm. and what always puzzled me is that it's like a cat and mouse play because you don't really know who is chasing who and there's something about with, with the sex play in it is it her having the upper hand mm -hmm. or is it him and it sort of changes all the time and yeah. when you see it you are questioning what is actually going on yeah. who is having the pants on and who is the one being eaten so to speak and since you'll be playing Xiang yeah. in the play. I'm sure you have some point of view about it. What I've done with it, the very first thing I had to do was to sort of reimagine their backstories and reimagine it within the Happy Valley setting. That's what I did. So for instance, 
I'm we're using well I'm using um, Miss Julie as as a portrait uh, of Alice de Jarzy. So that is that is sort of the entry point. So now what happens is that what I've done with the play is that I've divided it into two acts. So let's look at the original. The original is that in Act Two, the morning I should say, right? You have uh, Miss Julie. This you know this is when she realizes she's fallen. It's a play about upstairs downstairs. Yes. And fallen means that she's not the aristocrat that she yeah. used to be or she claimed to be. She's getting into this whole sorrowful, depressed. So what I've done is to f make it sort of fit into this. I think I told you last time and you say, oh yeah, good luck with that. And I, yeah, this was very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is, Happy Valley had two eras. There was there was heydays, which was in the 1920s. Everything was perfect. You know, this is when, you know, they were, oh my God. How do you put it? This the was high tide. The high tide. This was the, the act one of Miss Julie. This is, she has the upper hand, if you can put it that way. And then it lasted until 1921, you know, with the, with the Wall Street crash and, you know, and so forth. And then in the 1940s is when it sort of went down. It started off by their founder being assassinated and then Alice Janze committing suicide and Idina Sackville ends up with cancer. Broughton who also committed suicide. Kiki Preston died of drugs. So wasn't there anything left? <laughs> Well, the buildings. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't. Yeah. After that, there wasn't much left. There's, there's a residue, of course, some of their grandchildren and so forth. But this was. It was. It was the, the end of an era. You know. So what I've done with this play is that I've set Act One, in 1929. You know, and 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 then Act Two I've placed it in 1941. So it's party in. Act one and depression in part two. Yes, more or less. Well, it'll be yeah. exciting, and we are having this conversation a couple of months before the festival, and yeah. your play, if it is still according to your your plan, will be possible to to realize that. It will be just after the festival. I got a, I got a venue at Folketera, but before we even, we need to come back to the back stories again because what I'm doing is I'm into, I'm having a seminar and a workshop mini conference however you know, call it as you actually do each time you do a project because yeah. the, the workshop is more or less half of it isn't it because mm -hmm. that that's the place where you juxtapose those different kinds of themes different kinds of times and put people together and make them work it out yes yes indeed and and what we're doing this particular I'm calling it BBC which is stands for besides blacks and colonials <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'm I'm doing that because it's wonderful with Karen Blixen's story, and I love Karen Blixen, you know, and so forth. Blixen, they're at the same time, because Blixen arrives in Kenya in 1914, I believe. Oh, yes. And so there's she, love going on there. Aha! Exactly. And you know what? I have a theory, <laughs> and they, and they will not agree with me. I better I better be careful because Blixen and, and Lord Errol they knew each other, and actually Alice. It's a very interesting story of what happened. There were some Americans who had come and they ended up in in Karen Blixen's house. Right, and this was after after Alice Jones had tried to shoot her lover, you know, in Paris. And these women, you know, and they started talking to uh, Karen Blixen, talking about all the dreadful people in the colony. And Karen Blixen led them on, like, oh, really? Okay, who do you know? And they started talking about Alice Jones. And Karen Blixen was leading them, knowing very well that Alice Jones and Lord Errol are on their way to their house. 
you know they arrive at, at her house she ends up you know and and you know this one she re- she reveals them here she is and she's just having fun with it you know but they knew of each other you see happy valley is a place of syphilis i'm really not sure what brob if brob blixen ended up there and those are theories those are theories <laughs> there is no record of whether Karen blixen was ever at happy valley but this, all these people they knew each other but so my point is this Besides Blixen's Colonials as a seminar, a conference, workshop, however you put it, is trying to introduce other aspects of colonial history from this period that are less known, at least to my knowledge, which is very limited uh, in this part of the world, right? So very few people have heard of Happy Valley. And, you know, scholars, I'm, I'm not sure, had you heard of Happy Valley yourself no. before? Yeah. Never before. Yeah. You were the one who introduced yeah. it to me yeah. by giving me the book. And there's a lot of interesting literature around that whole But I guess the reason why we don't know it is that if we have to deal with it, we have to deal with some kind of shame as well. Yeah. And we avoid that. Ah, okay. Don't you think that's part of it? <laughs> I never thought of it, actually. Just <laughs> but it's quite obvious, isn't it? <laughs> and the shame because somehow we, yeah. we are so happy with all the, the big... Houses in Copenhagen, and but very seldom we talk about our colonial yeah. past. Yeah. It's sort of uh, the word seems strange in a way to us. It's only recently that we've been forced to have a meeting with that time. I guess it's out of shame. Yeah. Maybe we don't know it's shame, but we just no. know it's something which is difficult to deal with, and then we pretend that it's not really part of our history. But it's complex, and you know, it's. I find myself asking. It's very difficult to divide human character into bad and good. It is it is very difficult. And even if you look at you know some of you know uh, be specific. Yeah, be specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me come. Let me let me let me try and break it down the way I understand it. And in the same respect, when you look at these historic periods, colonial history, you know, and so on and so forth. Yes, you have systems which are racist, you have systems which are degrading, you have systems which subjugate, you have systems that take advantage of human beings. You know, you have that. However, within the same systems, those who find themselves, can we claim all of them to be bad and good? I'm, I'm struggling with it. I'm, it's simplifying it. Yeah. It's breaking it down into some sizes which are easy to handle, I guess. But yeah. it might not be very true. But, but still, it's it's a very interesting situation that yeah. you, coming from Kenya, doing this play. Well, it's just a theatre production, but still, yeah. dealing uh, with this conflict about Kenya and Denmark, suddenly it, you bring it to stage. It must be thought-provoking for you, isn't it? It is thought-provoking. It is, in, in many levels. Am I sanitizing colonial history by portraying human characters? Because... There's a rage out there. The questions I keep asking myself, do I want to be part of the rage and, you know, take... You know what? We've done for colored girls, for goodness sake. <laughs> you know? If it's about trying to really get a point out there, I think that should have done it. You know? But for me, this particular one, I'm just, I'm just trying to observe these human characters. Alice Jones, for me, is very interesting. She's a person who suffers from bipolar. Now, I am diagnosed with that, you know? It's something that I struggle with. I'm becoming more open about it. And I'm trying to understand, you know, this, what is this person going through, through despite their luxurious life, you know, they're showing off. Surely they must have some human character. And that is what I'm locking myself into. And my fear, 
quote-unquote, is that I can be judged by both sides and say, oh, you know, you're sanitizing colonial history. Now, what do you mean by that? By sanitizing colonial history is that I'm not... The most obvious path would be to portray these people as superior... Excuse me, carrying out the superiority complex against Jean. They're, they're subjugating him. And that is so simple to do. That is for me, it's, 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 it's but, but it's fun because that's the way it's often been played. Yeah. But the very fact that you're black yourself, it puts the, the issue on stage without even saying anything. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you don't have to struggle to say it, to, to, to get that across. You don't have to struggle. I mean, that one, it's, 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 it's there by default. So for me to try and find the stories, the interesting stories, who killed Lord Errol, really? I mean, there, there's so many different books. There's a lady called uh, Errol Tibriski who wrote a very interesting book, The Life of Lord Errol, and she goes on about how he was killed by the M16. And, you know, and this was because of Churchill. You know, Churchill was trying to make, you know, a deal during the World War. This is World War One, World War Two, sorry. The, uh, trying to make a deal with Germany and Lord Errol knew about all of this you know because he was trying to balance should we go to war should we not go to war and Lord Errol knew about it because of his fascist background and you know so these are some of the interesting things that but Michael honestly you're putting on a play where it's such a, a sex game between yeah. domination and sub-domination yeah do you really believe that the audience will be bothered about who killed him because <laughs> the the play between the two main characters are yeah. so much it's about everyday story. You know, and you know what? So, in, in Strindberg's original, you have the Count, the Boots. What I've done is this one, the Boots here, the, 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 it's really Lord Errol's Boots. This guy has been giving Jean problems since 1888. You know, and after this thought, it's time to get rid of him. He's been giving Jean too much trouble. Since 1888, Jean is so scared of him until today, so we need to get rid of this guy. So that is one of the things. Uh, so who cares? Like, going back to your question, um, who cares? Who cares? There, there are three audiences here. There's the Danish audience. Uh, the Danish audience comes with, with a preconceived idea. We know this play. Then they might just miss the story. Uh, <laughs> I have no other way of saying it. <laughs> so, I mean, if they come with their cover, you know, what can you show us about this play? We know it is ours. But you don't know Happy Valley, so this is what I want to tell you about Happy Valley, and I hope then they can go and you know, research about it, read about it. It's going to be fun for them to know about it, I think. The same way it has been fun for me to know about Strindberg and to know about his works and, you know, and so forth. But then there is the audience also in Kenya. Now, Lord Errol is still a big name in Kenya. The story is, is known, of course, within different aspects. And, and uh, so to them, bringing Strindberg is interesting because they don't know, I mean, it's not to be performed so much there, but also to bring, because this is part of the history, it's part of Kenyan history, you know. So for them, it's, there's an intrigue. Back to your question, who cares who killed Lord Errol? So the bottom line is, how do we tell a story of Happy Valley? How do we tell a story of Alice Janze through the prism of August Strindberg's Miss Julie? Pretty much simple. That is what it is. To tell a story of Alice Jones and Lord Errol through this prism, essentially. Now, why is Lord Errol's murder important? Why is his killing important? Well, today probably it's, it's no big deal. But then again, because it raises very interesting questions. Remember, it's historic. The historic aspect here is that 
um, you have Kenya and then you have our neighbors, you know, you have Somalia and you have Ethiopia, right? During World War Two, you have Somalia uh, being under the Italians, Mussolini. Of course, you have Kenya, you know, under the Brits. So one of the visions of Mussolini was to regain Ethiopia. And because he lost the Battle of Adowa between the Ethiopians in the 1880s. So during the fascist movement, you know, you know, make Italy great again. You know, he promised them, you know, we're going to regain Ethiopia. And he started moving his armies. Now you remember, these are their neighbors with the British colony. The settlers are very worried of what will happen to them. And he started arming them, and now Lord Errol becomes the assistant military secretary of this whole operation as well. And at the same time, you have Churchill on the other hand, who's trying to balance between having war with Germany and not. And one of the things of, of his way of appeasing the generals of Hitler at the time was one of the ways to appease them was maybe to give them back the colonies. Now, Lord Errol is a known fascist. He's got links all the way to Tom Mosley with the, with the black shirts in the UK. During, during the 20s of friends with him and even as the, as the fascist movement was rapidly growing on there. So Lord Errol apparently knows too much. He could cause trouble for Churchill's government in East Africa. And so this is some of the intrigues because this is happening during World War II. So to get rid of this guy, it seems like a good solution for the government. But you know what? But he's too high profile. So that is why this news caught rampant during this period. So it's a historic period. It's, it brings up also the aspects of, you know, the World War II, much was not spoken about how it was being fought also in East Africa, you know. So it brings us whole... So Lord Errol is not just Lord Errol. It's a historic period. Playing a part on the chessboard. Yes, exactly. I think that's... that's which is interesting because what happened is that a lot of Africans also fought in this, in this war and they were never given what they were promised to be given. And especially now, I don't know how many years it's been since World War II. Eight years, you know. There's a growing groundswell of fascist ideologies coming back again, right? And are we repeating a cycle here? Are we at the beginning of that? So it's sort of to, you know, bring this whole aspect. And yes, he was a renowned fascist. The whole idea is to bring up a historic neglected... If I had a lot of money, you know, I'll, do, I'll make a document. I'll, I'll make a movie about World War II in, in Africa. It's not known so much of what happened there, mm. reason of the war happened over there. And some of those things are the thing that it changed the geopolitics of, of the whole globe, really. So back to your question. No, it's, it's, it's a fantastic question because then it, it, it makes me to, to at least say what, the thoughts behind it. I hope people will just, if, after coming to see the play uh, and they enjoy it, then they go, like, oh, wow, we know so much about Karen Blessing. Let's go and read some of this other stuff, you know? <laughs> some of those places, Alice Jones, it's, it's now a school, very poor school. With a hundred pupils or something, and bearing her name, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's called yeah, Satima School, it was a house. Thinking along the lines is that how do we turn these stories for the better, you know, without being on everybody's face, you know, donate and all the sort of things. I mean, just make people to think along those lines how do we turn colonial stories, okay, they're bad, okay, but how, how do we turn it for good? It would be very interesting, you know, to have, to raise attention in the school, whether it's in Kenya, you know, like, of how do we develop this. You know, it's controversial, yes, I know, like, of without being on people's faces and, you know, asking for their money. But how can we turn these stories 
into into the good of the communities there. Same thing with Karen Blixen's legacy. You know, all these movies they make and all these sort of things. Would it be nice to sort of, you know, take that whole area where she lived and say, you know what, we have developed this creative product, some of these profits are going to, you know, developing this area, you know, whether, whether it's schools or it's building a library in the school, those sort of things, you know, like oh, how do we turn artistic products beyond intellectual gratification. I would have loved to do this the same with this one. I'm in touch with the, with the foundation. One of the books actually, she's she, in Kenya, you know, she started this foundation called Happy Valley Heritage and she's trying to restore all this sort of place. And I thought, oh my God, it'd be nice maybe, you know, because we're going to do this play in Kenya. We're, we're doing it in Denmark and then we'll do it in, in Finland and in Kenya. And we take it to Kenya, you know, when you invite all those people, you know, and they come in to enjoy themselves with champagne and all those sort of things. Like, of, to bring awareness. Like, that is sort of the end goal, but I'm afraid of gain, getting it out there because it looks like, okay, here's another thing, you know, here's another way of trying to get people to. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'd love to hear about your, your borderlessness. You're operating on, on a big scale, and I'd like to hear you about the effect of what you're doing, because you, you see it in a big perspective, and it's obvious that you're from another background, because you are able to do this kind of compare one thing to the other, which we cannot. So uh, I think it's very, very interesting what you, what kind of soup you're mm -hmm. boiling, because um, we can get a lot from that. And I guess that's the reason why you are, are very successful making the embassies in the different kind of countries to support your work, because they can see that you actually can give something to them. Wow. It's humbling, actually, that, that I could get funds to do this. For me, I'm, I don't take it lightly. And they, it's natural. It's not natural. I, I realize my background, I realize all sorts of things. And for, for us to get funds to actually pursue this, Uh, from the Nordic Council of Ministers and the Swedish Embassy and the Norwegian Embassy in Copenhagen. It's an exciting journey in that sense, to be able to be given money and say, okay, you know what, do it. Do what you said you're going to do. So the stakes are a bit higher. So I'm I'm happy about that, I'm, to bring in new perspectives. And that is, that is, back to your question in two years ago, that's new Nordic voices, to bring new perspectives into old, if you can call it like that. I was listening to the, the podcast this uh, morning, And on the podcast, you talk about your, your background in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And somehow it seems as if you are adopting the same kind of ideas here. Because you talked about your inspiration with the local theatre, which put up very, very large production of theatres. Mm -hmm. Once a month they had a new production, and they were introducing a lot of European playwrights. And they were doing a Jackson Potion as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess what you're doing is alike. Yeah, I was influenced so much by that. The dream in the very beginning was, when I first came to Denmark, was to study and go back and, you know, and, and do that. So yes, I've been influenced by that. I was exposed to that. I was exposed to the possibilities of... No playwright says this play has to be acted by this kind of people. Maybe they do that, I'm not so sure. Normally <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Normally <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they write a play. And it's, I think it's us in our, in our view of the world, we assume that uh, this particular play should be acted by this kind of people. Play or a bad play, regardless, it could be acted by anybody. This is the way I view it, you know. Of course there are contexts and that sort of thing. But to give the artist or the actor the opportunity to explore different arrays of performance. So that has been always my background and I stick with it. 
because it's what I believe in. Even if people try to sort of move me to become what they think an African producer or uh, you know should produce, I refuse to conform to just producing African plays. I will do them, and I've decided for colored girls. I don't want to be defined by either. But what's typical about for colored girls is that it's actually about being human. Yes. It's not about color. It's it, uh, color is part of something, but yeah, it's more universal. Yes, that. yes, and that's those are the universal stories is what really attracts me. So yes, you're right. That is how I was influenced, and I'm introducing that I think in the Nordic countries because uh, if we take the mask off, is that there are not so many people of colors in the theater. There are some people who are not being represented. Maybe we've overlooked it. And you too, you have uh, a small video from the workshop of Enemy of uh, the People. Mm. I think you should hear just a little.
I mean, it's, it's 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 a natural thing. We always take for granted who our neighbors are, regardless. I think that is part of the challenge. It's 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 an identity challenge, at least in my world. It's a, it's it's always trying to find where do I belong. Having lived in so many different cultures, having moved back and forth. There's a, I think I, I, in the very beginning of the conversation, we talked about how I admire uh, people who have, you know, born in one place, probably traveled here and there, uh, but they still, they have the social capital of a place, they, you know, they know the place from back to back. I remember that feeling between age of 1 to 20, being home in that sense. But so, in Nairobi. In Nairobi, exactly. Uh, but having moved back and forth in different places, and right now is when I'm beginning to really settle down. I've been saying that for so long. But then again, my point of saying is that what is your cultural identity? Is it because you speak Danish? Is it because you're born in Denmark? Can you be both Danish, Kenyan? Can you be a can you be an amalgamation of so many different things? Well, you are. Yes, I'm beginning to realize that it's, it's a journey. It's something that I still have to tell myself on a daily basis that I'm both. That is a challenge, both sides. So you end up being an island in a sense. It's a lonely journey. That's, that's the only way I can put it. It's a very lonely journey. But I guess all our journeys are more or less yeah. lonely. We have this picture about us being part of a group, but when it comes to about realizing yeah. what's inside us, we're all on solo journeys. Yes, absolutely. And especially in this day and age where group identities is being shoved down our faces. As a person of colour, I have to be able to stand firm in my ground and say, you know what, forget about this whole group identity thing. Even though, why do we attach ourselves? Why do we get our identities from a group at the expense of our individuality? I'm trying to constantly be aware that even though I carry the traits and I walk with and I've got the heritage, the ethnicity of this kind of group, my group does not define me. I'm defined by who I am yeah. as an individual. But it's very simple. When yeah. we met last time around, it was in, in Bellarop uh, shopping centre. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't difficult to find you. <laughs> That's also very true. That's Every time I look at the mirror, I go, oh God, is that you really? Because <laughs> I'm always around people who look very different from me. No, those are, these, those are aspects you cannot escape with. But the, but the, I'm talking about the aspects that lie within the mind and the heart. Because those those are the, the realities which you carry with you every single moment. I'm trying very hard to fight, to confront personally, and maybe also I'll start putting it in my work, the group identity alibi. Because it's, you know what, it's, for me, I'll be honest with you, it's rubbish. It's completely rubbish. But that, oh yeah, you, now because you belong here and therefore this, you, these are, who are my people? Whole concept, my people. Who are my people? I'm really, I'm struggling with it. That is, I mean, maybe also, I also carry the sentiments of a fairy tale still within me. I maybe I still carry those sentiments. Um, but I guess we all want to. We all want to have this dream. It's a dream we live on. Yeah. Because, and as an artist, we always work in order to step into those dreams. We we dream makers. Yeah. So I guess we are allowed to be a little bit sentimental when it comes to that. Yeah. But it doesn't make it more true. No, no. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, every, like every society, there's this. But from my standpoint. 
despite all the, the things that I fight for, quote-unquote again, fight for, um, you know, representation, and, you know, a lot of things in Denmark, you know, yada, yada, yada. I still find this it's a dream country. And this I still I still realize I told you every time I come out of my house and I go, I still, I'm still in awe. I I still am. And oh, Michael, get over it. You know it's just Denmark. You know, but to be here by just my choice because I wanted to. I imagined this was very small, so I still carry all of that with me. Is that because of Blixen? No. <laughs> Even though I live at Tungong, I live just close by there. You know what? I didn't know Kyle Blixen was as he came to Denmark. Busen. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's very weird, isn't it? And even though I just lived close by there, actually. I think it's because of the Vikings. I think when I was small, I used to watch Viking movies. And, you know, it creates this... For me, it represented a country that is so, so far away. But were you playing Viking? No, I wasn't playing Viking. No. I mean, I just, I just saw it on TV when I was very mm. young. But for me, Denmark represented a country that is so, so far away. And I think I was just running away from, I don't know, myself, really, uh, you know, as a young person. So I held into that ideal. But, I mean, it's a hard question. How do I view Denmark? Um, there's some things, I, I mean, of, like any person, I can be critical about it. But I'm not vocally critical. I put all my critique in my theatre. So <laughs> we, we actually have to see Shuli um, in, in the yeah. autumn. Yes, yeah, it will play, um, I think it will play mate on the 24th or 25th of August uh, at Falkate here. Uh, like I said, but we're having a workshop, which will be at Tita Republic on the 15th of April. And the whole idea is to get all the people in one room and, you know, and, and to sort of start discussing global migration and colonialism, different perspectives. I mean, migration doesn't just happen one way. It doesn't happen Africans coming to Europe. It does happen the other way also, you know. If you look at on the bigger picture and, and the exchange of all those sort of things and reviewing all this, of course, with Miss Julie and examining Stringberg's Miss Julie within the colonial context of both colonial era and apartheid era. So I think it should be an interesting seminar. Wow, it sounds wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah, let's see how it works yeah. out. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to having you back on the festival this summer yes. again. Thank you.